Hello, listeners. This week, my guest and I discuss the topic of harnessing creativity and ambition. My guest is a vivacious young woman in her late 20s, based out of Toronto, and best described as that hot art chick you always had a crush on in high school. She has recently begun hosting industry art shows, and I think she's on her third one as we speak. This one is taking place this Wednesday, December 4th, for escorts, clients, and industry-friendly individuals. If you'd like to attend, send her an email. If you're unavailable this week, you could always contact her to get on the mailing list for the next show. I hope everyone enjoys my conversation with the stimulating Vivian Lawrence. There's a lot of people who are trying things that they've never tried before. Sex! Why do you think people don't see it as work? I don't know. I think there's just too much stigma. What do you mean we can't just go tell people? The vast uh, complexity of human sexuality. The escort. Deconstructed. Welcome to the podcast, Vivian. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. We're on one of those weird days in what is almost December where it's like 10 degrees outside. I'm not fighting it. <laughs> I know. It's a temporary reprieve. Um, so I've been asking people the same question, but it's very much to kind of create a database of sorts for anyone seeking to do academic research. I think asking the same question to numerous escorts will like give us by volume and consistency the questions that will enable people to make research articles if they want to. So in that spirit, how did you pick your name? So I picked my name by combining different people that I admired. Um, I chose Vivienne after Vivienne Westwood. Oh, love her. Yeah, she's a wonderful designer, uh, very eclectic and a wide range use of color. And uh, she's also a redhead. So (laughs) I mean, sometimes. Um, But yeah, that's how I chose my first name. And my last name I actually chose after Jennifer Lawrence. Really? Okay, wait, how new is this name? It's it's a little bit old, but I I chose the name in 2013, 2014, oh, okay. a little bit before I started. Originally, it was going to be Vivian A.N. because I felt that it rolled off the tongue very quickly. And it's also phonetically quite similar to my birth name. So I knew I would oh. respond to it if somebody called me Vivian. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the person I was going to be working for suggested that I, I change the spelling to the French because of my own French upbringing. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. It looks seductive. There's something to you about the French language. It just looks extra seductive. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the way it rolls. I find V's are a very sexy letter, like yeah. Vivienne Lawrence, you know. <laughs> Wait, why Jennifer Lawrence? Oh, uh, I was a big fan of The Hunger Games. Was that 2013? <laughs> No, it's a little bit before. Oh, okay. Um, I feel old now. <laughs> it's something I just remember watching it in university, and I liked. I, I'm a big fan of strong, powerful female leads, especially ones that are, you know, they they aren't afraid to lead or use violence. Because it's something that <laughs> you know, as women, I find you don't see as much. And she won the whole damn game. She did, yeah. Um, so I. I also just thought as a celebrity, she was very approachable. I mean, she could fall down and just get right back up and be like, whatever. Right, 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 right. And that's very much me. I'm a huge klutz, so I fall down and I get back up, you know. What's that other movie she did where she's blonde and she's pretendably that woman that came up with that mop that, like, retracts? You know what I mean? I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, it was really good. She plays another, like, female lead. I think it's wonderful that we live in the age of Google. <laughs> it is both a blessing and a curse. Like you should and have- an insult. Google it. 
<laughs> what do you say when you really don't like somebody? Why don't you Google it? Oh, well, whoever's listening will just know what I'm talking about. Oh, it's called Joy. Joy. No, I haven't seen that one. Um, no, I, I just liked her as a celebrity. I thought she was very approachable and very real. And I don't know. I really liked the name. That's a great. No, that works perfectly. So then how long have you been in the industry to date? That wasn't your only name ever. No, I've had a, a couple names that I've worked under, uh, when I've worked for agencies. Um, I guess my, I started about five and a half years ago in April 2014, when I actually got my proper start, there was a couple things I tried beforehand uh, that weren't quite escorting, but they were close enough. So I tried, uh, I think my first experience that was close to sex work was I got approached by a photographer on FetLife to do a shoot, do a masturbation shoot. Wait, how did this FetLife guy find you? What were you doing? At the time, well, I was in university and I was studying sexual diversity studies oh, and okay. Very uh, cool. to pay for my education, at least to help, I was working at a bar that was adults only. It was a swingers club. So I was working there as a floater and a bartender and also as a dance instructor. So mm -hmm. I used to take pole dancing lessons and I got very, very into it as somebody who had a, a gymnastics background, but never really got to push gymnastics as far as I would have liked to because I started quite late. When I picked it up again as an adult, it was really fun. So I, I had this profile in FetLife, and FetLife is sort of like the Facebook for kinky people. So I did a photo shoot where I posted some photos of me dancing naked that was being used for promo material for the club. And I had this photographer who approached me because he did a lot of photo shoots with solos and couples that were very erotic, so the nude and... Um, they wanted to do a masturbation shoot. So I did that with them. And it's interesting because we agreed on a fee and we just did it at my apartment. It was very safe. And my roommate was in the other room at the whole time. <laughs> and just my bedroom, my cat was there. And, um, you know, when we were done the shoot portion, he got very excited and he asked for if he could pay me for a blowjob. And I guess that's a compliment. Yeah, yeah. I guess. And so turned on by you playing with yourself. Exactly. But like in the case, okay, so in the Me Too movement era, we can't say that's attractive. But like because we're escorts, mm -hmm. it's all right. Well, he asked me. He didn't just start. There we you know, go. He that didn't makes just start taking photos one handedly. You yeah. know, he wasn't. He asked me, would this be OK? And he offered me more money. Yeah. And so we agreed to the addition. And, you know, at the time I was. I was 21 going on 22 and I, I thought that it was very safe and enjoyable and he was incredibly respectful and I was sitting there and it was I think 45 minutes and I got paid $200 for something that was incredibly low risk and I just realized you know this is not at all difficult. I had a lot of reservations about starting. I actually wanted to start maybe a year before I actually did. And Doing I, videos or just any kind of sex work? Uh, I wanted to start escorting sooner because oh, okay. I, after that shoot, I did a few more porn shoots uh, just as I was developing my, my escorting career. And what I realized, I really did enjoy porn because there were many aspects of it that you can control. I could show up with my testing papers and have anybody I was working with, you know, show up with testing papers as well. And I could decide on what level of protection I wanted to use so I could feel confident that I wouldn't be paid less because I was shooting with condoms. I only worked with, uh, quote unquote, you know, feminist porn. Mm -hmm. So that was wonderful. It didn't pay great. <laughs> Can you explain what feminist porn is for people? I guess feminist porn, a lot of it is, you know, 
directed with the female's pleasure in mind or a woman's pleasure in mind, as well as being done with boundaries that feel very good for the individuals involved. Like I don't, I didn't feel a lot of pressure to perform without condoms if I didn't feel like it. Right. So, and I could use dental dams if I wanted to, or essentially it wasn't, I didn't have to be, I didn't feel like I was made of plastic. I didn't feel that I had to adhere to a certain aesthetic. Cause a lot of it was just about capturing authentic chemistry with whoever my performer was. And usually it was partners I had in real life. So she's like not being objectified, but then I guess some people like that. So it's even the hard. Yeah. Objectification can be a very hot turn on. Yeah. And these days, you know, I, I kind of like the I mean, right time and place. I get it. I get it. But yeah, like yeah. you got to be asked still is the point. Yeah. So I, I started off with porn shoots because it felt safe and I, I knew the pornographers I was working with. And from there, I built up my, my escorting brand. And at the time when I first started, I, I started with an agency sort of, I guess it's a collective. Um, at least they become a lot more of a collective over time. And, but what I wanted when I started was I wanted to work with an agency. I wanted, I was in school, I was doing my, my undergrad and I didn't think I was going to have the time to devote to building this business while mm-hmm. my primary focus was finishing my degree. And what actually ended up happening is that I don't think I was being properly sold. I wasn't, I wasn't getting any traffic and I felt kind of, okay, this is really slow. Am I doing anything wrong? And that sort of pushed me to take the lead and develop this independent persona that has grown over the years to the person I am today. Then you know who's responsible really if you don't have clients in a way. Exactly. Yeah. It's me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, So just, sorry, does feminist porn mean by women necessarily? Not necessarily. And it's interesting because if you ask one person what it means, one pornographer, what it means to them, you might get a very different response from somebody else. So some of the companies that I worked with, um, I worked with the Art of Blowjob at the time. And the person who ran the shoot was absolutely amazing. Sophie Delancey. That was probably my favorite experience. I also worked with um, Miss Naughty, who uh, is in charge of Bright Desires, which is based in Australia. Okay. And that was wonderful because the shoot I was in actually won a feminist porn award. No way, cool. For face sitting. That year they made it illegal <laughs> in the UK. I got what? turned into a poster, yeah. Face sitting is a feminist act. Oh, wow. I was sitting on someone's face, needless to say. <laughs> was it on page three? <laughs> Just kidding, that's not revived. So wait, you told me that you wanted to do escorting for a year now when you got into all this, but like, where did the idea to even do sex work come up? Well, during my undergrad, I volunteered in sexual health education and I did that for many years pretty much the entire I did that more than I volunteered at any other at the local place in town no it was a university that was sorry it was an organization that was part of the university I attended and our main goal was to hand out safer sex supplies for other students in communities on campus yeah wow okay cool so as part of this organization that handed out uh, safer sex supplies and went to frat houses and sororities as well as schools to give demonstrations and how to properly use and address other topics like toys and very importantly consent as well as communication and you know experimenting with other forms of sexuality that you know maybe complementing the education that you wished you had had in high school or university because it's usually for a lot of people the first time you're living as an adult maybe on your own and you're experimenting so it's about helping people go about it the right way and that was sort of my baseline I started volunteering in that and through volunteering with there, I learned about sex work for the first time. It was part of our volunteer training. And I learned about different aspects of sex work. So I learned about, 
you know, I had a friend who was working in a massage parlor and I had another friend who had done some porn and I got into the adult work industry through there and through working at a swingers bar. And then through there, I just met more and more sex workers. I had a friend that I was, uh, that I admired at the time who sat down and talked me through it because I was interested. She was somebody who was a full-time sex worker who was, I was working with, uh, directly through volunteering and they did a couple of really nice things for me. They gave me a good baseline of knowledge and they took my first photos and that's back when it, that was back when I was blonde actually. <laughs> and, uh, I had those photos and I built a small website and I had that all up in summer of 2013. But the big thing I didn't do is I didn't advertise whatsoever. I just had it there and I just sort of left it there because I still wasn't quite sure I was dipping my toes into this new world that was very exciting for me. And after waiting a bit of time and after that experience with a photographer and then shooting in porn, then I finally felt comfortable enough to go in and try working with an agency. And I actually, I worked at another agency for like one day as Gabrielle. I wasn't Vivian at all. And I, it didn't go very well. They told me I had a bunch of calls lined up and then I got to the hotel room and they all canceled. And I was like, well, this is some fresh bullshit. So I'm just going to leave. That's horrible. Yeah. What are you going to do? So (laughs) that was like a false start for me. It was a month and a half before I actually started in April. And then after starting in April of 2014, I just sort of, things started to pick up and went from there. So do you actually work in the field you studied? I mean, obviously the work you're doing right now is very much in what you studied, but. I feel that I can argue that I am one of the few university students who has a high paying job directly related to their field of study. <laughs> okay, agreed, agreed. <laughs> yeah, yeah but I, I really liked my program. I majored in sexual diversity studies, and I think it gave me a really, really solid base for going, going into this industry, especially from a legal basis and a historical basis, and even a social science background. I could get a sense of like what I was going to be facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you keep all this to yourself when you started initially? No, I, I think because when I started... I did have a very open-minded community um, right. or a support network. So I had friends who, you know, they might have worked in porn. So to them, it wasn't really strange. Or, yeah. um, So I, I felt very confident telling some of my close friends. And also at the time, I was very non-monogamous. So I felt that it was important for me to tell the people I was playing with as partners that I was a sex worker. So I, I told them originally But, you know, I didn't tell people like my family originally and I didn't tell, you know, if I was applying for another job, I didn't I didn't tell them that. I mean, yeah, you can't really put this on your resume despite the amazing skills you procure. Mm -hmm. And I I wouldn't I wouldn't tell people at a party, you know, that that came with time. But originally I kept things pretty much to myself. Like I didn't tell my siblings either. That came a little bit after. How long is a little bit? And do they know now? My family knows. Okay. And they've known for a long time. Originally, that wasn't my choice. So as I mentioned, I did porn Mm -hmm. and I had such a great experience with it. So I started in April and in September, in September of 2014, on my first day of school, I get a, get a call from my sister and she's like, don't freak out. And you know, when a conversation starts (laughs) like that, I can't wait to hear what's next. So she's like, I've seen your porn. (laughs) And it was, so she saw my porn and my mom saw my porn. So, but how it happened 
was the not okay part. So I shot this porn with the art of blowjob and I had a really great time. I, I shot it with somebody who was a partner at the time and I felt like it's a very, it was shot in my apartment. You know, this is a very safe, calm environment. And um, I knew one of the other performers on the website. And in fact, her and I both worked at the same agency for a short period of time. And this person is kind of interesting. I mean, I mean, I think the world of this person. And uh, she had also dated my cousin for a bit when we were teenagers. Okay. So it was weird that we found each other again. Small world. I know, right? <laughs> so small. Anyway, so we had each other on Facebook. And she posted on her Facebook about being part of this porn. And somebody else she had on Facebook was my uncle. And my uncle uh, clicked on the porn and watched it. And so, yeah, she dated, she dated my cousin. So mm -hmm. his dad watched our porn, watched my porn. And then he took it upon himself to share it with my aunt. And then my, my aunt shared it with my sister and my mother. And that's how, that's how my family found out. And I'm sorry. That sounds horrible. Oh, it's okay. Just in the uh, moment. That is, I think, everyone's biggest nightmare. Just to have that huge, like, this happened, then this, then this. As you're just, like, adding to the list of, like, shit falling <laughs> on you at the same time. <laughs> well, you know what? It, it's it been okay. I I feel like... They my, have sex, too. So, like, it is okay. Yeah. It is all right. Yeah. And I feel that over the years, uh, it's been a lot easier to talk openly because of that. I'm, I mean... My, I called my brother and I let him know and he had the best response. Honestly, he was like, you know, I trust you and I'm like, I'm feminist and I think that you should do whatever makes you happy and feels right for you. And Aww. I have the best young brother. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It took my sister a little bit more time. My sister's um, about 13 years older than me and I'd say a little bit more traditional. So at first... She was a little confused by what I was doing, but now she's come around and I feel that we have a really good, strong relationship because we can talk openly about what I do. It's not something that she would feel comfortable doing, but she admires that I do it um, because it's allowed me to have a very, I mean, advance myself in, in life in a way that she couldn't have done. And she, she says herself, you know, if I, I felt that I could do this, I would have. And with my parents, I feel that we can talk fairly openly and we may not discuss the nitty gritty of things, but I trust that they respect me, especially because I'm not around, you know, asking them for money. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the child. What did they say to me? I'm the child. They don't worry about, they worry the least about now, which is excellent as a middle child hearing that. It's not the way they envision, but as the outcome they envision. Yeah. <laughs> Happy can support herself. Okay. Not the method I wanted, but still end result the same. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I really wish my uncle hadn't done that because I was hoping I was hoping to tell my parents once I was still in school while this was going on. I was hoping to tell them when I graduated and when I paid off my student debt. That's what was when I was going to tell them myself. And he I took that, that away from me. Um, it was out of concern, though, you know, not necessarily trying to mess you up. I disagree. I think this guy's actually a creep. Okay. And I feel like most families have that one person who makes you uncomfortable. And well, I'm lucky that like, it's never gone beyond like that sort of like, I feel like you're a creep because you did this. Uh, I, if I could go back in time and ask him not to do it, even, I don't even care that he watched my porn. That's not the part that bothers me because people are going to be freaky, whatever. It's that he took away my right to tell my family when I was ready to. This is a very good point for anyone else out there that has a sex worker friend or considering it. 
you could talk to them about it, but I think outing them not on their behalf when they're ready is never really okay. I don't know if it's appropriate to relate it to outing someone that is uh, not heterosexual, but it's all coming out of the closet type of stuff and uh, has a lot of consequences. And if someone isn't ready, I don't think it's right. Exactly. And you never know what somebody has in mind for themselves or what it might mean to them. To me, it was I, I was sad because it was going to be part of talking about something like an accomplishment that I had worked very hard towards and the timing was important to me. But I can't go back and change time. I can just... They're okay with it now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're okay with it now. And I, I feel incredibly lucky to have an open-minded, relatively liberal family. Well, yeah, my advice would be that even if you don't support what, I guess, someone you know that is doing sex work is doing, I would still say just tell them you support them because they're going to keep doing it whether or not you approve. So just saying that you support them, you will at least get to keep that person in your life and actually hear about them. So, and then you'll be swayed also because we're all just humans. You'll be like, oh, this isn't the big deal I thought it was. Wow. I know it's crazy, but uh, we're, we're all just people having sex, being grownups, enjoying life at the end of the day. Exactly. <laughs> did you always show your face or did you hide that ever? I didn't always show my face. Uh, it was this entire situation with oh, okay. my family finding out that was the deciding factor about showing my face when I decided to do it. I wasn't even thinking about borders or safety or any of that. Right. Well, I don't know if it was mu as much of a thing like five years ago. I don't think it, especially not for where I was in life. I, I had other priorities. I, I didn't know this was going to turn into the career. Right. You I didn't realize there was an industry either. And like, we technically do have like a huge workers, like not like a union, but people everywhere. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's kind of like I'm being a sex worker on Saturdays. Oh, it's a whole industry that's underground. No one talks about. Oh, I can I can join this. I can be part of that. I need to know these regulations. Like, I just thought it was like a thing on the weekends. Mm -hmm. There was like a it's, you know, it turns out it's a whole industry. Yeah, it's not just a way of paying off your student debt like I thought it was. I, uh, yeah, I, so after my family found out, I guess the main, the biggest thing I was scared of was no longer a reality. So I went ahead and started to show my face. And so I wouldn't be able to say whether or not it has led to me making more money, uh, because that's a question I get a lot from people is yeah. does showing your face mean that you make more money and I, I have no idea I don't think I don't know if it does I don't know I don't think that's the factor that has helped me build wealth I don't think that's the deciding factor for me it's something completely different I think it helps but I also just feel like I for me I like showing my face I want people to know what to expect when they see me you know yeah. I, I I've never had somebody show up and walk away because they didn't like what they've seen so I do feel like showing my face has helped with that and I'm grateful for it but yeah, originally I wasn't going to show my face whatsoever. And then after my family finding out, it just became natural. Are you worried about the future because you've showed your face? Like, do you plan to get a career in another industry and maybe they'll turn you away? Has that ever crossed your mind? I don't know if that's rude to ask. I think about it all the time. It's something that I was really concerned with for a long time and I proved it false. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there was... a. I haven't done this full-time consecutively for five years. For the first, I'd say, three and a half years, I always had something else going on, whether it was full-time school or mm -hmm. working in a bar or then full-time school again or then after. I actually 
interviewed a lot and I got I went and got a job in insurance despite the fact that my face was still all over the internet and I had no issue whatsoever like I was fine I guess I I interviewed I interviewed well they were looking for somebody bilingual and I fit the role and I was really worried that having my profile online would mean that I was unhirable but that was not the case I got a job it didn't take me that long to find it um and because at the time it was really important for me to prove to myself that I could get an office job, I could work in the corporate rule, uh, world and, you know, fit in. And once I proved that to myself, I realized it was bullshit and I quickly left. <laughs> but I, yeah, I didn't. As you do. Yeah, I guess I'm not too worried about whether or not showing my face will affect if I get a job or not. I feel that I'm one of these people who is most likely going to be self-employed for the rest of my life. And I doubt that I'm going to fire myself. So even like your boss is a hard ass. Oh, my boss is such a bitch. Oh my God. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not worried. I feel like as long as I, I'm mean, a very entrepreneurial person. So it's kind of, as long as I, I find a way of supporting myself, I'll be fine. I firmly believe you will be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, just, there's so many different ways of presenting yourself to, if I wanted to look different, it wouldn't be difficult. I'd dye right. my hair, cut it, experiment with makeup, maybe wear contacts for the first time in my life. <laughs> you know, Different like, person there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've personally had a lot of appearances on Vice and other fun media articles. What's all that been like? It's been fun. I actually have a bit of a long history of appearing on television and in media. It's yeah. just I don't feel that people actually recognize me. So... I think the first time I was on television, I was 17. I, I was on A Channel once. I was I was organizing a youth leadership camp, and it was a way of spreading the message. And then I was on CBC. And then just before I started in this industry, I was in a documentary on non-monogamy with CBC. Cool. And they actually focused in on me. Uh, and this is when I was teaching dance lessons at the Swingers Club. And they came and did an expose there and filmed me. And that is so cool. <laughs> at the time, though, they misaged me. I was 22 doing my undergrad. And CBC said, well, she's a 24-year-old in grad school. And I'm like, what? Oh, when did this worst, happen? Worst, worst bad things have happened. But yeah. I was like, when did I get in? Oh, my gosh. I mean, 22 undergrad, 24 grad is cool. <laughs> You're like, it's nice to see myself in the next phase of my life. That's oh, cool. my gosh. I, I figured out time travel. <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> I, this is who we'd rather be on the show. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I, I like it. Um, with Vice was really interesting because that was a, uh, that was an exploration of the home lives of sex workers. And I'd say I really liked being in the article, uh, a little bit of information made it into the article that I didn't realize was going to be talked about, but I guess it's okay. It makes me look like a more well-rendered person. Uh, the only thing is that when it came, when it came to the vice documentary, I had so many more things to say. I, I, I got edited down to two lines and those two lines I think were here, let's push our boobs together so they can come all over them. And then later, mm, put it in my mouth. <laughs> two lines. <laughs> oh, baby. Yeah. I won't do that to you. I might like, I've never done like an audio replay, but I might like replay that like three times. That's okay. <laughs> You know what? It's it's okay. I look good saying those two lines. Um, I I was just like, wow! I had so many more well thought out, interesting, uh, you know, in depth well, things to say. How long was it though? Like their their airtime for that segment? I don't know. For me, I got the least amount of airtime, mm. and I 
I guess I was a little surprised because we filmed a lot when I was doing, I got asked to be part of the documentary. So I know I was an add-on, so I knew I was never going to be the massive part of it. And Vice, I feel that their objective is very much to give voices to uh, minorities. And because I'm mm-hmm. not a minority, that too. it makes sense that I, like a lot of my stuff got cut out as it yeah. should be to make space for a voice that may not be heard so often. Um, I just really wish they'd given me maybe like one more line, <laughs> something, something sandwiched in between the very slutty things I said. But overall, it's been a lot of fun. I really like popping in and out of media. Uh, and it, it, it's nice to feel like a celebrity sometimes. Do you think there's any media that accurately represents us? Like on the download asking yes. if you want to help like make a screenplay <laughs> let's just submit it to netflix and get this shit going so netflix actually has i'd say one shining beacon they of, do have a few good ones yeah if you've seen easy uh-huh yeah okay, twice <laughs> over i've seen easy of course I've of seen co- yeah easy. you know exactly what i'm talking it's about. about sex work but it's about being sexually open and i love it all the different facets it's great i think yeah i that was probably my favorite media portion of the media segment of a sex worker because i felt it was very accurate oh right okay yeah the first season yeah with Car- carly's season. in it with no. slut ever yeah mm-hmm. oh god i love her she's so awesome i was thinking part- more about that married couple how they're in each season and it's going through their like oh yeah them openness. yeah <laughs> i love those actors period and like they're in each season yeah i wish she was in each season i'd keep watching that i would that was my favorite part i was like but i guess she's more. got her own like slut ever show so yeah she's she's important slut she's got other great stuff. for anyone that hasn't watched it get on it it's great well that's just that part where she throws the envelope above a cover i'm oh my gosh same like, fuck it. it's in like every book in the book though <laughs> yeah or oh my gosh or the guy's like i'm not i don't want to cheat on my girlfriend like i don't want to do that i don't know if i want to be here and she's like well you booked me so you do want to be here she's like you know do something it's fine it's fine oh my god it's okay oh, the mutual masturbation Stop. i thought that was such a good solution because yeah. it's 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 museum rules you're looking but you're not touching you're just touching yourself god, <laughs> the world is such a crazy place ideally you can find a partner that's like yeah let's explore this together these are the rules but i just think restricting all of it because you don't know if you're comfortable with it because you haven't tried it isn't the right path i i'm somebody who comes from uh like a non-monogamous background and i would actually say that i feel most comfortable in a sex worker environment because it creates a very boundaried space for us to explore mm-hmm. right whether i'm the provider or i've actually been in the position of client a couple times where I just feel safe in the the time constraints and the financial barrier that it creates. Because, you know, when you're at work, I feel that you bring your best self forward. At least I've always had that approach. I have a strong work ethic and uh, not to toot my own horn, but I, 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 I do have a strong work ethic. I think I've always been passionate about bringing your best self forward. And, you know, when you're at work, you know, you might you're going to do your best not to show up tipsy you're gonna do your best to you know make sure that you're using protection because like even coming from the swingers rule like world i found in a lot of you know civilian sex contexts people make a lot of assumptions and you know coming from a sexual health background i'm like what the hell are you kidding me i was just like amazing how many like like hookup culture and how like the little like the not so widespread use of condoms and stuff like that and things like std one you know it's always the first concern out of anyone's mouth is Oh, I slept with a sex worker. Okay, well, I can't really afford to, like, have an STD right now. So, like, are you sure the protection works? And I'm like, fuck you. Yeah, no, it's realistically, I mean, I I take care of my sexual health. And I feel like most of us go out of our way to do things that maybe if... Way more than other people. Like, I I get tested at least uh, three, four 
times a year minimum. I say a month. It's gonna be like whoa. No, <laughs> no, no. Every every three to four months, really. Yeah, no. Every three months for me. Yeah, it it depends on uh, like there are times where I've gone more. Um, if you don't really see anybody for like a few months, then what is the need? Yeah, if you take time off. Um, but <clears throat> in my you know in my civilian life, I don't think I went as often as that. No, and that's, definitely not. Yeah, I feel like that's a common misconception that is very erroneous. Uh, do you have a preferred verbiage in regards to escorting? I'm pretty okay with most terms that aren't prostitute. That one's a bad one, so no, no. I, I just don't like how clinical and pathological it feels. Clinical is a good word. Well, when else is it used, right? It's illegally. Illegally or, you know, in a medical sense. I, I personally really enjoy, you know, explaining myself as a companion. I, I find I yeah, use that a lot. Yeah, that's your power word. Yeah, and I mean, escort is fine. It's just that companion is a longer word and therefore more important. So <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, we really need to urban dictionary, like a new definition for this. You want to help me submit something? <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Speaking of urban dictionary, just if I, I, yeah, yeah. I urban dictionaried my civilian name once. Okay. And, you know, there's a few entries, right? And the one that caught my attention was succubus horror. <laughs> And this was like a year and a half before I started. And then thinking about it now, I'm like, how did they urban, know? The, wait, does it say that for every name? Let me just No, just, just my name. Let just me my just name. Urban Dictionary, my real name here real quick. Yeah. So um, I, like, I'm fine calling myself a whore. Uh, I feel, but I am one of those people that I feel like unless you're, unless you're a sex worker, you don't get to use whore as a pejorative term on other people. I am that person. Like, same thing with, with hooker. I feel like you really have to be mindful of how are you using it and i don't feel it should ever be used as like an actual insult to hurt somebody i feel like if it's part of the joke it's one thing but yeah okay um do you want to share something about your childhood or maybe something about how you progressed as an individual to become who you are and how you were kind of like okay with the idea of sex work or yeah uh so i felt that growing up so I'm going to preface this really quickly. I, I absolutely love my family. I love my parents. I'm incredibly grateful for all the opportunities that they have worked so hard to give me and for the upstanding people that they are today. When I was young, watching television, it didn't take me very long to realize that my childhood was not the typical model. I had a bit of an abnormal family experience. And I'm saying this because I... I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in that. Uh, I grew I up. I remember the day I looked around. I was like, oh, my God, not everyone lives like this. This mm -hmm. is just my family. This isn't yeah. everybody. Like, I remember the day. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting realization. And I feel that what made my family experience a little bit different is that one of my parents suffers from a very serious mental illness that expressed itself in hoarding. So very intense hoarding to the point of it's not just it's not just clutter that's noticeable. I'm talking about this person should have been on that hoarders show. Uh, and it made it very difficult to relax at home, despite the fact that I feel that my parents are very they're very progressive people. And I feel like they're very intelligent people and outwardly very successful people that, you know, are very kind to others. But you never really know what's going on behind once you open that front door. So I found that very difficult to grow up with um, because it's not just the stuff, it's what the stuff means to that person and the dynamic that is created when you're never really, I, I, I never felt relaxed. I could never 
I feel comfortable they, at they home. They were on edge all the time about you know having the stuff the way they wanted it. Kind of thing. Yeah, and you try and do one small thing, and it's a never-ending battle. You know, it's things like even recent. And that this is a problem to this day. Uh, and my relationship with my parents has gotten so much stronger now that I don't live with them because we don't have oh, a yeah, shared stressor anymore. I couldn't, and I feel like that's a big reason. As I'm from Ottawa. Um, I wanted to get as far away as possible, really. I like, Not quite Vancouver far, but at least Toronto or Montreal far. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was really, it was really difficult. So that one, that one family member definitely uh, suffered from a mental illness. And then I'd say both of my parents struggle in different fashions with alcoholism. So one of them, uh, I feel was just sort of always buzzed, but not like too much. And the other one didn't drink very often, but would binge drink when they drank. Did they try to hide it that they were drinking all day? Uh, No, but like one parent, like the one parent who wasn't drinking all day was like, oh, they're always dry. It's just, I felt like like I was kind of an intermediary between the two. And it's interesting. I found that again, very difficult. So my, my solution to all of this was, I spent very little time at home and I spent a huge amount of time getting very involved in my school and in my community. So I joined the student council. I started an environmental committee. With different kinds of families. Yeah. And that's the thing is you can create a chosen family and a chosen community. And just because you go through something difficult in your childhood, it doesn't mean there isn't a silver lining and it can't actually be a really good positive influence on who you are to become as an adult. Right. Totally. Living through difficult things as a child doesn't mean you're broken. It just means you may have been bent. And it's our job as, you know, adults to shape us, shape ourselves into the people we want to be. That's our responsibility. And, you know, I don't think seeking out other kinds of families mean that you don't love your family. Mm -hmm. Like, I love my parents despite not getting along with them in the best way most times because Mm -hmm. it's all just different vibes. But, you know, you just find other people that enjoy your company in a different way and you love your own family in another way. And Exactly. And the other thing is, like, I found that at least what I've learned is that, you know, mental illness doesn't mean I don't have to have zero. Really, When I was growing up, I was very... Very much like I'm never coming back here. I'm cutting my parents completely out of my life. I'm cutting my family completely out of my life when I grow up. And maybe that was just me being young and dramatic. It's, yeah, well, we haven't learned all the other options yet. That's the thing. Yeah, and even though, you know, that's the experience I went through. There's so many experiences. There's so <laughs> much worse, right? And even though it was difficult to go through at the time, as an adult, I'm like, wow, being a little bit, like, it could have been so, so, so much worse. Um, but yeah, and I, I think that I'm really, I'm, I'm glad for my experiences because they pushed me to really get involved. And then that helped, like I got a bunch of scholarships when I was ready to go off to university. Congratulations. And I, like, I, I feel like it, it helped me develop a very strong work ethic, whether it came to academia and or And you went life. to university in Toronto? I did, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did. And, uh, yeah, I graduated. Well, I finished school in 2014. I took an extra semester because I, I switched my major over in my last year. You didn't get the credits. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to take Damn. my time. I didn't want it to be over. Hey, well, now you got other big communities. That's true. Yeah, um, I, and that's what that what brought that's what brought me to Toronto. I, I studied here, and I didn't want to leave when I was done. It's it, I love Toronto. I really do. Oh, 
I yeah I mean I'm not a resident of Toronto I guess I am now but yeah I can't really <laughs> I mean I don't love our rent situation oh, but fuck <laughs> me. no one does uh but yeah it's uh I love this city. Do you city. think that your past has had like a bearing on whether or not you became a sex worker compared to something else? No, I, I think that if I were to listen to like based on my past, what I should have been, I think with all the effort, I, I got pushed a lot into a career of either academia or uh, government and politics mm-hmm. because well, Ottawa. <laughs> Ottawa, but also bilingual. And I also just have a lot of experience in leadership. Um, If my upbringing was to sort of determine my future, I feel that I would be somewhere, I would be somewhere in an academic sphere or in policymaking or just politics. I feel that I am an escorting because I have, and I feel like this is not uncommon in our industry is I have a very high sex drive and that's always been the case practically since I was born which is kind of strange to discuss but I I have known I advocate that a lot of women do but they just never get orgasms from fucking men because men aren't focused always on that no sorry men not all of you but yeah start by fucking yourself (laughs) and when a man comes universally like a woman orgasming is not required just universally for sex to occur so I think that most of us just give up not that we don't like yeah, and I I don't know. I I have always had I feel like most people remember when they started like masturbating at a certain time and they probably have some, like some sort of like early teenagehood experience. Please but, tell me. So yeah. Gosh, I was so young. Basically, uh you know those children's seat that buckle up in between the legs? Stop. I feel like my poor parents, they never had a choice. They put me in it and I very quickly realized, oh, if I like rock back and forward, it feels really good. <laughs> That's the kid I was, okay? I, you know, they had to, and I'm not sure, I guess, I feel it's just something I was born with. And, you know, I I was that kid, they had to be like, okay, you can't do this in public, okay? Like, you gotta find a private place. And then when I, when I got a library card, I, <laughs> when I got a library card, <laughs> I started renting all the books on puberty. She was a puberty. librarian for a while. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, I started <laughs> renting all the books on puberty and reproduction because I was so curious. And I think that was a good thing for me because I read all this thing and then I quickly realized you could rent porn at the library. Oh. Yeah. And you can read it anywhere if you have a book cover. Um, that was my strategy as a teenager because it turns out uh, watching porn on the family computer is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm an escort because of naturally what's inside me. forces <laughs> in reality. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I'm a financially ambitious nymphomaniac is how I like to phrase it. I wouldn't say I'm a nymphomaniac, but same kind of deal of like having one computer. I remember <laughs> they did like a bug scan and like me and my sisters each had like different profiles we'd click on. They'd be like, oh, my one sister, we found a bunch of this. And Sienna, on yours, we found a lot of porn. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like 11. I'm like, what? And I'm like, same. I don't know. It must be the spam. They're like, we don't think it's you. It's okay. And I'm like, oh, thank at least Jesus. your parents were nice. My parents no, were they like, no, they were conservative. They're like, well, we think there's no way this is you doing this. And I'm like, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> my parents thought it was my brother at first, so they went to go talk yeah. to him. 
<laughs> and he was nine, and he was so confused, like, being no. like, "That's not me." No, 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 no. And so that my parents had a oh moment. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you need to stop. This. It's not either of us. It's a spam. Yeah, that was a good excuse back in the days. So I don't think it's gonna fly anymore. <laughs> No, no, I really should get that delete my browser history tattoo on my wrist or something. (laughs) Oh my God, what is she into? (laughs) Uh, Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. (laughs) So on to our topic of harnessing creativity and ambition. So tell me, when and where did your interest in the arts originate? So my love of the arts began as a reaction to boredom. I am one of those people that I do not learn by listening to other people. And chances are, I'm probably not listening to other people unless it's just one-on-one and we're talking. So in class, I, I learned by reading and writing. So I would write down notes. And while I was waiting for everybody else to catch up or waiting for the teacher to move on, I would just start a, sort of start drawing on the sides of my notebooks or drawing in a separate notebook entirely. And one of the things that I've been drawing since I was very, very young uh, are dresses and outfits and uh, women in fashion. And I don't know, it's just something I could probably do all the time. So that's sort of where it started. It started as like, I'm bored. I don't want to be here. I might as well make good use of this time. And from there, I started taking art classes growing up varied in a lot of different natures. I, I tried acting classes. I was a thespian for a little bit, Ooh. which is uh, somebody who does Shakespeare acting. And that was fun. I took painting classes. I've taken drawing classes. I've taken pottery classes, which is super messy. It looks really fun, though. I, my is. mom used to do it a bunch. I never tried personally. It, it makes your hands really dry. Because the thing is, you're working with mm, wet clay. Yeah, and you got to wash it off after really rough. Well, try it. clay is also just drying. Mm. Um, so it very much started as a reaction to boredom because I hate being bored. And there's a really, like, uh, a Betty Draper line that I really enjoy. And it's only boring people get bored. And... Yeah, so that's where it started. And one of my happiest memories of growing up um, is that my family, particularly my mom, we really, we went to a lot of art gallery openings and we went to the National Art Gallery a lot. Well, I mean, in Ottawa, it's a great museum. Oh, it's a beautiful museum. Yeah. I it's oh, And it's such a beautiful spot as well, just to be able to look up, look over the water. And my mother was, uh, she, she did her education in fine arts yeah, at Guelph many years ago. And she... When I was growing up, would do these classes once a year uh, at school with me where she'd bring, she'd take over the class basically and tell my teacher to fuck off. And she'd bring a bunch of art supplies and the entire class, we would make something for a holiday like Mother's Day, we'd paint frames so that the kids could take home a frame and put their I favorite love picture. I kind of gorgeous. Yeah, or like plates, making a Christmas plate. And I loved that. And of course, when I was in seventh grade, I was like, I'm too old for this, mom. You got to stop doing that. And I, I, I regret that a lot because <laughs> that's that was a really great... You enter the rebellious phase. It's not about you. It's okay. It no, it's about how cool you are when you're 13. <laughs> yeah, so that's where it started. It went down in history, Vivian. You were officially cool, Chuck. <laughs> officially cool. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. So now that you've grown up with this and are doing this now, what does art exactly mean to you? Like now that you are, you shared with me, you're doing these art parties and that's what we're going to talk about today. Like, what does it mean to you to kind of advocate and do art? Art for me is about rendering your worldview and communicating it with people to 
have a shared experience, have a shared emotion or see what kind of emotion it provokes in them. So personally, I find that a lot of my art is about trying to create beautiful things for people to take a moment and just appreciate and get distracted by whatever, from whatever it is that they have going on in their lives, right? Think about when you see somebody wearing a really stellar outfit. You kind of stop for a moment, whatever you're thinking just sort of disappears in your mind and you think, holy hell, that person looks great. Like, oh, I love how all of this went together. Or if you, you walk by a really wonderful mural, you're going to take a moment just to enjoy it, right? And there's no actual reason why it's there. It's, it's literally, it's for enjoy, it's to make you take a moment for yourself and experience something. So that's what this is for me. These art parties are essentially uh, a gathering with a shared purpose to enjoy art and enjoy the creation of art. So I also never really got to have friends over. So this is really important for me because this feels like a very grown-up house party. Of like like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Why and do you think appreciating beauty is something that astounds everyone? I think because it's not just what you see. It's an experience. It's a corporeal experience. It just, it surprises you, catches you off guard. I think that's why it's important. You know, there's a reason why we value beauty because it's just, it's pleasant. It's pleasurable. You know, we work in an industry of pleasure. This is a different form of pleasure. This is a, for me, anyway, a visual expression of pleasure. I hope that when I make something, that somebody sees it and they enjoy how they feel in that moment, right? And I feel like a lot of artists might have that goal or they might even have the goal to trouble somebody or disquiet or provoke thoughts. It's, it's just about actually taking time and existing. Art is a form of existence. Yeah. It's very much, there's something about appreciating beauty that is relaxing because I think we do see a lot of like ugliness in the day to day and seeing something like art or a companion reminds you of all that good stuff that you don't get to see every day. And maybe it's just so much good in one little area that it makes you stop and appreciate it. And it could also be very therapeutic to create art. Oh, totally. <laughs> Can't wait to see what's at this art. <laughs> me too. Uh, so for me, a big part of why I enjoy this is it's easier to display a collection of art that features some things I've done as well as items produced by other providers mm-hmm. and some occasion clients. It takes and it the is, pressure off for sure. It does. It's not just about me, right? Because uh, like having my own art show. That's like at least a year in the making. Of yeah, yeah, it is. And the other thing is sometimes you know, you might sell everything you've made and make a bunch of money. And other times you might not sell anything. So when you're doing this with other people, it takes some of the pressure off. You don't have so much invested in, and it can be easier sometimes when you're, it's not as scary. So you might take a few chances, work with a medium you haven't used before, or actually display your work when you're just starting to learn whatever it may be. It could be photography, it could be sculpture, it could be painting, as is my case currently. It could be illustration. So have other, um, I don't, I'm sorry, this sounds so uneducated. Have other people that are also doing art shows like uh, reached out to you or do they see what you're doing and like approve of it and think it's cool or is it very much a non-really art scene type of thing and like a behind the scenes background escorting thing? So... My original vision with this was that it was going to be primarily 
providers and clients. Submitting the art or submitting going? the art okay. and attending. Oh, okay. And I would say that's still mostly the case. And I sneak in civilian art here and there. Usually there's one person who is a focus. And I've let people know when that's been the case that, hey, this is what I'm doing. And it's usually people whose art I've already bought. And then I am like, okay, I bought this. I'm having this art party. Are you comfortable with me showing your work in this capacity? Wait, reference base is a companion? What? <laughs> <laughs> I've had a really good response from the artists, actually, who yeah. are not involved in our industry. Oh, cool. They were like so fast. You know, I was actually talking about this earlier uh, at a coffee shop because I'm trying to be, I, I've had a shift in my life where I'm trying to be more open with people so that I normalize it. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. Because the more normal this shows up in co everyday conversation, the more normal it is. That's exactly what Isabel said. Yeah. And it's it's about- Wise it, women. So we like I, I was talking about this earlier at just a commonplace. It's a coffee chain. And I was saying that I, I was going to be, you know, talking about these art projects I was involved in. And somebody asked me, like, oh, what kind? And I was like, very honest. I just told them what the thing is. And they said, that's really cool. I bet your subject matter is so unique and original. It's pretty much anything, though, isn't it? It's pretty much anything. Yeah. Anything somebody wants to submit, um, as long as they're comfortable with it being part of my sex worker art show right okay i'm making something for this next one because i can't help it please do yeah and, no i want any part of it because the other thing is i keep i so the the actual art party is very similar to a vernissage it's the opening night as one would say so there's it's a gertrude stein art party so i provide the wine and the cheese and i want everybody to come over and have a good time and it is very much an SP client social. There may be like every once in a while there's one civilian there, but they're civilian in the sense that they know what I do. And so then wait, how can a civilian get there if they want to be part of this hearing this, but don't know if they'll be accepted? I contact them. Okay. Right. I ask people when it comes to a civilian sense, I choose who I'm going to include. Or if they wanted to maybe email you just after hearing this, that would be okay? They can email me as long as they understand that I don't accept everyone. And when it comes to yeah, civilians. Yeah, it's very much yeah. like a safe space sex worker wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm picky. Uh, and the people whose work I have exhibited, it's because usually I've worked with them in some capacity. Like I may have paid them to illustrate me. Or what, uh, one person who has attended is somebody I was hiring as my business coach. So they're working with directly to help me in my career as an escort. And so I invited them to these parties so that they could be there to enjoy themselves, but also sort of give me feedback about how I was doing because this was a goal that we created together, something totally. that I wanted to do. Uh, but I would say like it's 90% it's to 95% industry and created. If I was you, I would probably be operating under the same business model. And not in the industry is not always completely. You might be on the periphery. For there instance, I've had people who are owners of a lingerie shop attend and then be procurers of some of the art at the event. And that I thought was really cool because we do work hand in hand. Like, I, I totally. can't tell you how much lingerie I've bought. <laughs> I mean, right. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, they are an important part of my business. And, of course, if they want to appreciate art, I want them there because I already know they're respectful. But I have had it happen where uh, for one of my early art parties, I've only done three. I'm doing my fourth right now. And one of them who is some complete random person on Twitter was like, oh, include my, I really want to be part of this, include my work. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I don't know who you are. This is primarily provider and escort based. And I've already chosen my work for this one. So unfortunately, I, I don't think I'm the right platform for you, which yeah. I, I reserve the right to do. And he got very upset called me what was some 
some very pedantic term that's used in the art word. I can't even remember art world. I can't even remember what it was, but it was essentially somebody who's an imposter. It stands for somebody who's an impo- well, a exactly. detente. A detente, yeah, detente. I looked at it. That's the worst. And you have to Google an info. No, detente is a great word for assholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, called me one of those. And I'm like, you know what? Here's the thing, though. <laughs> This underground gallery is the main ink hole I use. So that's the thing is... You do not have to justify yourself to asshole. Stop it. No, I know. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things. Is uh, So I'll have these nights and I feature this art and then it stays with me. For however long the artists are comfortable, I typically allow people to come and pick up their artwork when they feel ready or at the very latest before the next show. And then I sell it. But it, it plays into my home decor and where I work and where sometimes some of my coworkers work, right? So... I'm trying to share artwork in spaces that are unconventional, right? Yeah. I think you are doing a good job, and I can't wait to see it in person. (laughs) So do you think creativity is something escorts are especially inclined to? Are people in this industry especially inclined to? Because it could be sex workers, too. Sorry, sex workers. This podcast is called The Escort. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. I think that all of us, or at least the vast majority of us, are working in identities that did not exist. We had to construct our identities to work here. We have to decide on our branding. We are the modern day madmen, so to speak. You know, branding is incredibly artistic. It's art, advertising is art with a purpose to sell. And I feel that, you know, everything down to our websites, to how we choose to stylize our photo shoots and how we choose to produce our content, because even writing is an incredibly creative sphere to explore i think that we have to be some of the most creative individuals because we're practically as you said earlier actors from day one yeah we are actresses not like we don't enjoy what we're doing but we're very much there for other people's fantasies and pure enjoyment so we put ourselves on you know our highest level of performance to be the best experience for people i've also found that there are a lot of wonderful side hustles and experimentations that I've seen from my coworkers, whether it's, you know, photography or nail art or makeup artistry or playing instruments or writing fan fiction. These are just some of the ways I've seen my coworkers express themselves and grow businesses based off their artistic interests. Um, so do, do these shows offer in any way from a normal art show or is it the same thing? It's just full of industry people. It's not like I don't know. I've never actually... Well, I've been to one or two art shows, but it doesn't differ in any way. It's just like a normal art show where you see the stickers and stuff and walk around. It's kind of... It's very similar to a normal art show, except there are two cats, and uh, it's it's 95% industry people. So, you know, I mean, it's like a normal art show, but chances are you've slept with at least one person in the room. <laughs> that is maybe the both, Maybe part. two people, maybe more. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like, aha, it's so strange to see you with clothing on. Like, <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things like that. Like, I didn't know you do watercolor. No way. <laughs> so I guess it's different in that aspect and yeah. that people you may have seen in very <laughs> vulnerable or intimate settings surprise you. Um. So what kind of mediums have you seen? Is there sculptures, paintings, anything? Anything is accepted for ones curious about what they can submit? Also, is anyone allowed to submit to your art show if they're in the industry? Yeah, as long as they're respectful and they're on time. Um, so 
I'd say I've worked with a lot of different mediums. The hardest one for me to include is sculpture. And that's just because the space, the space yeah. and the cats and the fact that I'm a huge klutz. Um, so I would say I work a lot more with, I've seen a lot of photography recently and I'm okay. really excited for this that's next cool. show to be exhibiting a, like a couple of photography exposés that I'm really excited. And I can't give too much away. Uh, I'd say anything that can be hung is typically, because I have so much wall space, the place I'm exhibiting in has at one section 18 foot high ceilings. So I've got a lot of wall to fill. So I've also had, I'm branching out into performances. Keep hitting this. Okay, it's all right. <laughs> it's because when you use talk your with your o- hands. Use your other hand My to other talk. hand to talk. There, there we go. go. So... I have in the past had a poetry reading and I thought that was very beautiful mm. and I love that performative aspect. Oh, I like that too. So this time I'm incorporating another performative aspect in that I'm starting to introduce people who want to sing at these events, which I think is wonderful. Cool, yes. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really, really excited for that. So that's sort of the multimedia portion of this and as well as having some DJing, because that's that's something I have no idea how to do. It's interesting because it's becoming a more multimedia experience. It's not just... Well, as it will, you started with a rudimentary idea and mm-hmm. it grew based on what's out there. Yeah, and it's even, like, I'd say the rest of it, I'd see a lot of painting. Painting is interesting. And then acrylic pour-overs, those have always done really well. Those and... just seem to be a hit recently. Oh, yeah, because they're... It's like staring into a galaxy. I find it really... Yeah. I have another provider I admire does some very, like, really beautiful stuff. And she's sold a number of pieces through the gallery, actually. And I'm so happy she wants to exhibit with me. Um, because it's always exciting. I, I do genuinely get excited at selling other people's work. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, they loved it. They worked hard on it. Why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. I know one non-sex worker that painted a whole picture with her vagina. Interesting. Dipped it in some paint and yeah. I've heard of that with breasts. Like there was a woman who's doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the, I guess in contrast, the easy way out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'd probably try more with my butt. I'd be like, I'm just going to sit and then sit. I'm down for this photo shoot. Let's (laughs) put that out there. Yeah. I, something I would really like to do is there's. You want to roll around naked with paint on each of our bodies and just make an art piece and then see what it looks like and sell it to somebody? I'm down. Or I'd love to grab some body paint and just paint a bunch of providers. Oh like, my on God, I want to do that one too. I want to yeah. do both of those so bad. The body paint one. Yeah. Oh, I want to do that so bad. If any artists are really interested in like doing body paint on a naked woman, mm-hmm. Vivian and I are down. Yeah. Um, I'm not even kidding. This has been on my list for like <laughs> six it. years. I mean, this would be so cool. And yeah. I think like. I've always I like the idea of being covered in paint. Like Absolutely, actually being painted. <laughs> and also yeah, it's like kind of erotic being painted. Mm-hmm. Like the whole process works for me. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking of that, do you have any goals for these events in the future? Yes, I have so far had all of my events, including the one that's coming up at my home location in um, in Kensington. I bought an investment property this year. And I've been treating it very much like a staging experiment. It's my little concrete box in the sky. Some people buy a home. I bought an office, and so that's where I work uh, sometimes. And I think it'd be really cool to have an art party there and showcase some new art, but also have it be the art of home. So actually walking into this space and experiencing home as a piece of art, as a, as a staging project, because... 
I never really got to do that. And to me, I think that would be very beautiful. And also, I would just love to show off. That's it. <laughs> Not going to lie. That yeah. like a great goal. So I that's, that's, yeah. support you in that. I think longer term, I think I would really love to have one of these parties at a restaurant or a gallery. An actual gallery, yeah. An with actual, actual a lot of civilians being excited about being sex workers. Yeah. I think that's very attainable within five years. Very attainable. Yeah. And then a 20-year goal. Oh, God. You're one of those people. Oh, no. I know. No, <laughs> actually, people that plan 10, 20, 30 years, that's how you get success. It's the short-sighted that do poorly and the long-sighted people that do fabulously. Generational wealth. <laughs> yeah, really, though. <laughs> yeah. I want to buy a house, and I want the first floor to be sort of a gallery cafe. Oh, cool. Yeah, kind of like an Amsterdam cafe almost. Yeah, okay. So come in, have a latte or a weed latte, take in the art. Fuck, I'm down for that. Yeah. <laughs> that just, my in my mind, cafe. the picture I'm summoning, are there animals? Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> obviously some shot. There's a okay. there's a corgi, for okay, sure. Okay, <laughs> great. A corgi and a cat that love each other. Yeah, yeah. I'm coming tomorrow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I got to buy the house first, and, and Toronto is going to take me a while. Oh, but I know, right? That would be great. I feel like that would be excellent. I live on the top floor. First Just floor good is vibes gallery. all around. A little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. um, let's help make that dream come true. Book Vivian. Come Please to do. her art show, which is uh, this Wednesday. Am I right? Yeah, it's Wednesday, December 4th. Uh, it's very exciting. I have gotten so much wonder, so many wonderful responses from contributing artists, and I've seen some of the work that's going to be exhibited. I can tell you right now, we're expecting some photography, we're expecting some watercolors, and we are expecting some mixed media, very expressive, large-scale paintings. And you're also going to get to see some of the things I've been working on in my painting class recently. And who could possibly turn that down? <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to attend, please send her an email or a DM, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I just want to start asking people, what is your take on how society is currently reacting to sex workers and escorts? Have you experienced any attitude changes, especially since people have kind of asked you to be on Vice and other things like that? Like, what, what is your take on how attitudes are changing society? I'm not as scared to talk about who I am these days than when I started, I think. And part of that is accepting who I am and coming into myself as an adult. Another part of that is the societal shift. And I feel that these documentaries are really doing a good job in terms of normalizing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> documentaries and podcasts okay. are doing a wonderful job. <laughs> yes. I think that, I guess this just comes back to normalization. I, when I started, I didn't, I, I was worried about this. And I, if I did introduce myself, I did it on a couple occasions and I got flat back. I used to hear, oh, well, I could never do that myself or I, I respect myself too much. And it's like, what kind of, I respect myself so much. I can't not do it. I can't suck dick. <laughs> I, and I, I get very turned on by, by generosity. Yeah, who wouldn't? It's just treating someone like they deserve your respect from the get go is a rarity nowadays for some reason. Oh yeah. I, I don't think I would go back to because when I started, I was a swinger. And basically, as soon as I started getting paid and started seeing how my clients could treat me, I was like, why the hell would I do this for free? I like I, I pretty much immediately like I, I mean, I still go out to, uh, the, you know, adult clubs sometimes, but I don't. I prefer this world. I feel like it treats me so well. And even just the confidence I've gained from 
being in this industry, especially in an age where, you know, a lot of people are worried about retiring without debt. This is not how things should be. So a lot of people are taking the responsible choice to get ahead in their financial lives. And I think that is being seen increasingly as a wise decision, you know? Yeah. I I don't know where exactly it started. It most likely has a lot to do with these media appearances that people are doing and that, you know, obviously uh, networks are hosting, which is also important, having the, the space to even just exist. So I think that I'm, I'm happy to live in this day and age. I feel that a big part of our jobs as sex workers is to see, is to actually take account of the people who are in front of us and see them because a lot of us feel them. invisible. Yeah. And a big problem with being somebody who sees is that other people get angry at you for being able to do that, you know, or they get... They, you get more power. It's never about what it actually is. No, no, it's, it's always about something else. And I think, you know, we, we play an incredibly important role and we always have. I, I feel that people have always, there's always been people who have chosen sex work as their career. It's about whether or not other people are ready to see those people, you know, whether they're ready or not to include them in their narratives in a positive light. It's, I feel like sex workers are some of the most enlightened individuals and calm and respectful. And a lot of the time we get a bad rap not for what we're doing, but for how other people perceive us. And it's completely unfair. You know, I feel that we shouldn't be so concerned with how other people see us, but it's hard not to care about that. I feel like all of us really do care what other people think at the end of the day, because we want to be liked, we want to be loved. We want to be seen in a good light. And it's hard just to say, I don't care what other people think about me because we do. Of course we do. Mm-hmm. Do you think part of the societal change is due to the pure volume of sex workers? Personally, I feel that there are just a lot more sex workers quantity-wise than before. And so this is why it's kind of getting away with getting more advocacy because it's just purely a bigger number of people in sex work. Whether or not mm-hmm. they consider it sex work, what they're actually doing is sex work. I think that a big thing that's happening is we're seeing more and more sex workers on social media which is not something that existed. Being less censored, I guess. Yeah, being less censored, having their business portrayed on places like Twitter and Instagram. These things didn't even really exist that long ago when you think about it. They're relatively new in the history of humanity. So I feel like while there were always, I feel like there was always sex workers and proportionately now there's definitely more because we have a higher population. There are, and I'd say it's becoming more acceptable, but I do think a big part is that we're seeing them more on social media and we are spending an increasing amount of time online, on social media, interacting in that way. And so we're seeing that there's these people on social media and therefore we're thinking there are more of them than there used to be. But I do think a big part of it is there's just more people on social media who are escorting than there used to be. I feel like the other thing is, I I hear a lot of conversations that are worried about oversaturation and 
I want to say all markets are oversaturated. Like it's just the nature of capitalism. But is that? But the other thing, there's also people who retire every year, and on top of that, you have to look at how many people are moving to the city you're living in that year. Like in Toronto, there are a hundred thousand people who move to the city every year. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's more than enough money to go around. I looked. I think there's like three hundred thousand escorts. If you count all the different sites, all the different facets, there's six million in the GTA, so it's still not that much. Yeah, it's and I mean, think about it, like. 300,000 escorts for 6 million people. That's still a lot of work. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. When do you think that escorting kind of switched over into being an option as someone's full-time career instead of just a phase? Because even that is a new thing. I think when the cost of living uh, rised exponentially and continues to do so, because it's a lot more understandable now. What do you think then? Do people have an issue with if they have an issue with people working as escorts? The idea that they can't have sex with this person for free anymore, right? It's this power dynamic. It's a power dynamic. And it, these people who have these problems, they're going to have problems no matter who it is. They've got pre-existing drama and it's it's not our problem, right? I guess this comes down to when people are giving you shit, they're not happy people and they feel like they need to bring you down because that's where they are in life, right? The thing is some people who are successful sex workers have the option of leaving the labor force and designing their own career and how they're going to use their time and get paid for it. Right. Mm -hmm. They have the power and the ability to do something like that. And I feel that the people who are hating on those of us who can do that, it's because they don't have that same ability themselves. They can't, you know, they might be in the position where they can't just become a sex worker themselves. And so they get jealous, right. Or if, they can't be successful because they keep getting in their own way or whatever reason it is. I'm, I'm not the expert on other people. I just know that typically when you have a problem against something and you really go out of your way to hate somebody, there's there's a, there's an underlying issue <laughs> that is with you. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like and that's something I, 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 I try to remember that because if somebody gives me flack or somebody's trying like basically being condescending about my life choices. I just remember this has nothing to do with me absolutely nothing you do have to remind yourself though it's a lot sometimes it's hard because like words hurt but at the end of the day i would much rather be the person being insulted because then i'm not the person who looks like an asshole right and i'm not the person who's judging somebody for their choice on how to make money i think that if it you know we live in a capitalist system it costs money to exist Right. It costs money to have housing. It costs money to get education. And a lot of the time you have to make investments and you don't know if they're going to work out. Never. Right. So we really shouldn't be on each other's backs about how we make the money as long as we're doing it consensually with agency. Yes. And the best way of like all we can do as humans is do our best. Right. Yeah. And if somebody's doing their best, who are you to go ahead and judge that person? Yes. I think that people that have issues with sex work have issues with, uh, I just think, capitalism, the fact that we have to work for a living and not really sex workers. Also, other people have issues with the level of freedom we get to enjoy. I think that even if I just look at myself, I mean... I'm very grateful for the fact that I get to sleep in a lot. That's something <laughs> yeah. that I... It makes... When you wake up when your body wakes up. Mm-hmm. And I would say it used to be 7 a.m. And now it's about 8.10. Yeah. And that's and the thing. I think if, it feels so natural and refreshing to wake up when your body wants to. Mm-hmm. And not when your alarm clock is like... Meh, 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 and you're like, <laughs> oh, I hate everything. If all of us slept an extra hour, I feel like a lot of the hate in the world would just go away. It really would. And but maybe if we put the working hours to like seven 
and started it at like 10. Something like that mm-hmm. where you just did it later in the day. I feel like we all just need a little more time in the morning because we all stay mm. awake later at night. Well, they actually did. Uh, I know there was this. I read this in a study once that they were doing controlled experiments with starting high schools at a later time. Oh, yeah. No, I think I saw this too. And with really great benefits, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's in teenagehood when definitely your sleep is very important. Even more important. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the main reasons I decided to do this work is that I'm a little bit of a sleep diva and I love my sleep. I'm too spoiled for a nine to five at this point in time because having to wake up to be there okay, is very Vivian, difficult. You work hard. It's fine. You don't <laughs> yeah. have to apologize. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I could see my, like if I compare myself when I was working, uh, you know, when I was working in jobs that maybe I, I enjoyed at least something of it, but not the entire part. I would be jealous of my current self who gets to sleep in and sets her own hours, right? Of course. And you'd probably insult her a little bit and say, what's so good about you? Why do you get to sleep in? (laughs) Yeah, right? Um, (laughs) One of the things that stopped me from escorting sooner was that I didn't think I was attractive enough. And so I stopped myself from doing it. Now, let's say that version of myself kept on with that and never escorted. And I'm listening to this podcast, listening to this person you know, brag about how much she sleeps in. I'd be resentful, you know? I'd be like, wow, she is lazy. But I know I'm not lazy. It takes a long time to figure out your worth, even to yourself. Yeah, and that's something I feel is a lifelong journey. You know, what I think my worth is now is different from when I started, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what would you say you dislike and like most about the industry? I dislike laundry. (laughs) Oh my God, I love how many people are saying this. It's never ending. We do run laundromats. (laughs) And you know what? I feel like every provider I've met has at least one laundry horror story of something going wrong. Oh, what are we talking about here? Oh, just... (sighs) Colors and with the whites. No, I'm talking about epic failures of machines or like... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Laundry has been the bane of my existence. It's caused... I don't know what I did to upset the water deities, but clearly something. So I would say laundry is never ending. My life is laundry. Uh, laundry is my life. <laughs> I hate what it. do you want? Some role-playing laundromat porn? You know where to go. Oh, my gosh. You know what? <laughs> I can't even make the most of my washer-dryer because they're stacked. It's not like I could sit on it and take advantage of the vibration. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what do you enjoy most about the industry? Oh, there are a lot of different aspects I enjoy about this work, and it's hard to just pinpoint one. It's like trying to eat one Lay's potato chip. Got a great analogy. Oh, now I'm hungry for Lay's potato <laughs> chips. Uh, well, okay, I'd say the thing I like the most out of this work is the confidence that I've gained because I, I touched on this briefly that I did not feel attractive for up until I'd say maybe – even even my first year and a half into this, it was only when I had my first photo shoot with Kiss by Light and I saw myself in that light. It was almost a life-changing moment because I don't think I had ever allowed myself to be kind and see myself in that way because there's this thing that happens and I feel that especially uh, like a lot of women experience it uh, in media. It's called fragmentation. So women aren't or you know what, not even just women, humans. We are no longer a human. We are fragmented into body parts that are then conveyed as problem areas, right? Yeah. And we are being sold these things to fix these individualistic problem areas. And what happens with fragmentation is that 
it strips your you become objectified you're no longer a human you're a collection of parts that need to be improved and you're always focused on that fact that you're not perfect and especially me as somebody who is you know understandably a perfectionist that was really hard and it took me a long time to grow out of that and I believe that sex work played an, a very vital role in me feeling like a complete and valid and desirable and intelligent person because not only did I have people saying that they found me attractive, but I had these people telling me that they were smart and that they were so grateful to spend time with me and that I made them feel better. I'm sure you've heard that before, though. Like, what made you believe it all of a sudden? I think because it's so, it's very powerful to be paid for sex and it, because it's such a compliment, you know? It like, really, it really is. I think you're so, exa- like, so exciting and attractive. I'm going to pay you. And I think that's hot. You know, like, I mean, it very much is a baseline. It is. Yeah. It's, and I didn't, you know, I was, I was somebody who had a very keen interest in sex and a high sex drive, but I didn't actually start having partnered sex until I was 18. I didn't date for quite some time because I felt I got picked on a lot as a teenager and I felt that I was unattractive. I didn't feel that I deserved to be happy in a way. I felt that you know, there's clearly something off about me and it wasn't desirable. And so I wasn't sure I was going to succeed at all in sex work, especially when I first started out in my agency, I was not getting anything. I mean, I think we all feel that way initially because we're like, other people are already doing this or to make it work. And you Why see these people who are so glamorous or like or stereotypically so beautiful and you're yeah. like, why the fuck would anyone ever hire me? I don't look yeah. like a princess. But over time... I, I realized that wasn't the case. No, I, 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 I am desired. And I think that's a core human need is the desire to feel needed or wanted or to feel that people see who you are and want that. Oh, the irony of you're just giving people exactly what you needed now. Well, we feed off of each other, right? Yeah, it's a absolutely. symbiotic relationship. Absolutely. So they get something out of it. I get something out of it that is beyond the money because I don't want to, I don't want to lie. I love money and it's important to me, right? It helps you live. It does. I'm, I'm even a little bit of a hoarder. I hoard my money. (laughs) Don't hoard stuff, but yeah. And I I think, I think that's my favorite. There's a lot of pluses. And I feel that as somebody who, after being in sex work, went back to other forms of work and did them simultaneously, I realized that, there's no such thing as the grass is greener on the other side, no matter what side you're standing on. Because the thing is, you're looking at the parts of the grass where yours isn't green. And then you get to this other side. And you, for like all of five seconds, you love that green grass until you look around and notice all these patches that aren't green that you didn't see before. Right. Because I had that I, I had that worry when I when I tried to get a job and I, I successfully got one in insurance is that. You know, I, I kept thinking, oh, if I just get this this civilian job, then I can prove myself and I'm not just a sex worker because this is where my mind was at the no, time. I think a lot of us feel the same way. Because that's the thing. Like, I yeah. love sex work. And then I listened to sort of the, the I think the hardest thing for me was like, you like you can't get a real job. Or what about the yeah, five year gap in your resume? Enough, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And and, you know, when I got there and realized, wait a second. No, I actually like you. Sometimes you need that little reminder and be like, no, I actually liked where my grass was green. Thank you. And I'm going to go back over there because the grass is way greener as it turns out. And 
I don't think I would be as happy or as well-rounded as a person, even artistically, if it weren't for sex work. I think I forget a lot of the times, too, because I let those voices come in and confuse me. It's very easy to get confused, I think. Mm -hmm. Do you happen to have a retirement date in mind? I will retire when I am financially independent. So for me, that means when I've gotten to the point that I don't need to work anymore because my investments bring in the income that I would like to live on, that is a good chance. Like that is a good time for me to retire if I feel like it. I'm 27 years old right now. Same days. <laughs> late 20s. Um, <laughs> she's in her late 20s. I look like a baby, I know. <laughs> but it's, it's good. I, I, I don't, I think I don't really want to entertain it before 45. I feel that I will meander. Yeah, in and out. Yeah, I might take a couple breaks. I, I am. It makes it more fun if you ask me to not have a regimented schedule. Yeah, exactly. And I feel that it's just going to be a very, very slow fade. As basically, right now, my plan is, I just bought a condo and I'm using it as a workspace and renting it to other people, which helps offset the mortgage. Uh, I'm just going to keep doing that, and every five to ten years, buy a condo and then either fill it with people who need an in-call or fill it with tenants who would like to lease it full time and build my equity up. Over time, the mortgages will get paid off. And then when I am ready to retire, hopefully those mortgages are paid off or paid off mostly. And then I just sell one f every five to 10 years and divvy up the income over the stretch of time it has to fill and live off of that. But in the meantime, you're just going to keep having fun and doing what you like. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Whatever that means for you, which doesn't mean stop escorting after two years because it's the worst decision of my life. My gosh. Like <laughs> <laughs> there was there was a point where I was a little bit concerned that. I had messed up my chances. Yeah, I think we all go through that. Yeah, and uh, no, I was just going through my quarter-life crisis, and this is so far from the worst decision I've ever made in my life. Mm -hmm. This is, I would say... An empowering decision. Probably this, the best, if not in the top, like, three or four. Yeah. It really depends in what area of, of your life that we're talking about. I am in no rush to work for anyone else. Because, I mean, then I might have to wake up early. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I'm going to take my time. What do you think is the biggest misconception people have about sex workers? I think the biggest misconception that people have about sex workers is twofold. It's either that we don't pay our taxes. Oh, my God. So not true. I mean, for me. I, I wish that I could just publish how much I've paid in taxes Fuck since, me. like, May. No, but not even that. <laughs> how much you've paid in taxes and how many comments you've gotten and shit you've gotten about not paying taxes. It makes it even ruder because you're paying all this money and then you get told that you're not paying this money and that makes you want to bitch slap people. Yeah, and I think it's like any career, especially any self-employed career or contractor career. You know, there's the opportunity not to pay your taxes and some people will take that opportunity just like there are people who work in the bar industry who haven't paid their taxes in like five years right it's and it's not it's not specific to what we do it's just the fact that we, anytime you have a cash heavy business yeah obviously there's going to be somebody who doesn't feel like and sometimes it's not even they're not paying their taxes it's just that they missed a year you know sometimes like life gets in the way 
but I wouldn't say there are more sex workers who don't pay their taxes than any other. No, I think. Yeah, that's any other profession. It's all just the same accountability wise. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think we actually have a bit more accountability because they don't be. It's not like we work a salaried job where it comes off our paycheck automatically. We have to actively sit down and set aside the money that we take in. And make sure it's there. Medical, dental, everything else, retirement, leave. Yeah, I don't have a pension. Holiday pay. You know, I I have to self fund my RSP and be creative (laughs) in how I decide to approach my life after my working years. A lot of people, if they work a nine to five, they don't really have to think that much about it, especially if it comes with pension or pension RSP contribution matching. The other big misconception that I think is equally harmful is. Uh, the belief that sex workers transmit STIs all the time. I, you know, I, I, I think it's so wrong because so many of us take an active stance in taking care of our health and work with safer practices in mind. Like I personally, I think that it's a really offensive thing. Like, aren't you worried about catching something? It's like, I'd be more worried about it's, hooking up with somebody. It's not coming from a place of ill will, though. It is just seriously misinformation. Yeah. Uh, so I think those two, those are the two misconceptions that really bother me. I mean, we see them so often. So please learn from these folks and get in touch if you have more questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your current favorite book or one you always recommend to people? That's a tough one. I would say that my favorite book is Lullabies for Little Criminals. Stop. You're like the third person to say that. It's a good book, I okay? Have, I haven't aired any of the episodes yet, but I'm kind of like, how are all these sex workers knowing about this one book? You know I what? I bet I know exactly yet. who the other people are. Naomi yeah. and Kitten. Okay. I haven't yeah. met Kitten, but I knew that about Naomi. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a really – it's one of the first books I read right after I started in this. And it's actually – I started in April, and my goal was to pay off – my my student loans by the time when I was graduating and I did that I did that in December and then January came along and I felt like this weird existential dread of like now what I have no idea what to do with myself because I've been working so hard I feel like I'm still living in that oh god well I mean like you're so focused on these goals and then they're done and you're just like oh god (gasps) well I guess I'll just kill time (laughs) so I that I picked up that book and it's Canadiana. It's written by a Canadian author, cool. Heather O'Neill, and it's set in Montreal. And I love Montreal. I've, I, even if when I go there, I'm never sure if I, it's going to be a big win or a total waste of time. I love being in Montreal. It's beautiful. And I, reading this book, it's just such a heart-wrenching book. I'd say a close I, – I, the other one I almost said was uh, The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls. I haven't Walls. read that one. It's on the list. Really good. There's, Do you like the bell jar too? Sorry? Do you like the bell jar? I haven't read the bell jar. What the fuck? I get on it. Yeah. Well, the other thing is most of most of the content I read and watched saw growing up was French. Mm. So, for instance, you know the Twilight books? I read those in French, actually. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and some Harry Potter in French. And oh, I read some Harry Potter in French, too, like the first three books. Exactly. Me, too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the third one is where it gets interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I, yeah, oh, my God. I feel so bad about cheating on uh, Harry Potter. I have a Harry Potter tattoo under my right tit, and I just said that my favorite book is somebody Wait, else. What does it say? <laughs> It's in Latin. Uh, it's a Latin translation of I solemnly swear that I'm up to no good. Oh, okay. I like yeah, it. Um, it has my civilian initials hidden in there. Oh, okay, I won't look too closely. Um, but yeah, I, 
I think, it, and the funny thing about the the Glass Castle, they made a, a movie. Yeah. They did, and the movie is quite it's good. It's on Netflix now, I think. It is, with yeah. Brie Larson and Woody Harrelson. He's so typecast. I like Brie Larson. She's great. Yeah, I haven't watched, I'll add that to the list. It's it's a really good film. It's a really good book. The book is a little bit better than the movie. They they did a really good job. Always, though. always, always. Uh, so I'd say it's a very similar feel to uh, you know lullabies for little criminals, but it's in uh, Appalachian United States and at an earlier time period. I will definitely add those both to my list. Look at all those books. I have not read all those books. They're on my to do <laughs> list. Not all of them, but some of them. That's my library, too. You know what? Part of it is just for the sheer enjoyment of having books. And now I'm going to read them all one day. Yeah, uh, what if I said that as a librarian? I'm going to read them all one day. Okay, no, but, like, my stack is way less big. This is, like, one one little section of a library. I got it. I got it. Um, who do you have the biggest companion crush on at the moment? I was thinking about this question a lot, and I'm going to come back to that Lee's potato chip analogy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I have a new crush and I have an old crush. So my old crush is somebody that I've known for many years and I've admired them for a long time, but particularly in the last few months because I've watched them blossom as an individual as they invest their time in a creative pursuit. And here I'm talking about Naomi mm. and her photography. I because love her personality. She's hysterical. She's well, that's warm. just she's so funny. She's warm and loving and yet hilarious. It's hard not to have a have a good laugh and a bigger smile in her company. And I've loved working with her these last few years. And I've been very impressed by how she's devoted herself to learning this craft. And I've been very happy with a few of the photos that she, she took of me because she, she reached out to me. And that was a lot of fun. It was such a wonderful afternoon. We basically did a photo shoot. And then we had a duo. And then I ate pizza. It was wow. like a perfect day. It was so good. Yeah, uh, shout out to the client who made that possible. And uh, Shout out indeed. Yeah, I think it's just, I, I'm very inspired by how they take an idea and run with it and turn it into something beautiful. So that's that's my crush that I've had for a while. And my new crush is another duo partner, and her name is Sephora Beckham. And I first met Sephora few months ago when she asked me out to have high tea and I knew immediately as soon as oh, she asked me high for tea. I know right such good taste and that's just it she has such good taste she's so elegant and statuesque and I see a lot of myself in her because uh, some feedback that I get a lot from clients is that I can come off as a little bit you know maybe a little bit cold or poised or a little bit serious while chatting. And then it's like zero to 60 when we get in, when we get to play. And the first time Sephora and I had a duo, I realized she's exactly like me. And it like even more so. It takes a duo to find that out. It does take a duo to find that out. And I was just blown away at how vivacious she is. And it's just, oh, yeah, it's, it's almost a vibration thing, an energy thing from these two individuals in that I feel my frequency rising to a very happy high level when I'm around these individuals. And I think that's important to look for in life is to look for the people who bring out this happiness and this vibration, this buzz where you're almost tripping over each other's words. And they are out there. Don't settle for less. Yeah, don't settle for less. And 
you know, these are, it's, I feel that this is something I have to look out for is that I'm one of those people that it's really hard for me to give up on individuals. And I really just want to be friends a lot. Like I give up on them just to spend less time with them. No, I know. But I mean, I I guess what I'm getting at is that sometimes when you spend, spend time with people, like the vibrations you have or the feelings you have can, can tell you a lot, like your gut feeling. And so I have a, like such a great gut feeling with these people. And like whenever I leave spending time with them, I feel energized, right? And so I'm trying to push more towards having time with people of this nature who make me feel energized and happy as opposed to spending time with maybe people who take more out of me, out yeah. of me and leave me a little bit drained. It's very wise. Yeah, and it's, that's just something I'm starting to learn now. And I'm grateful for these people where I can actually sit down and realize, oh, that's why I feel so good right because they're genuinely good people and our like our energies sink it takes a long time to learn that like it really does yeah okay well thank you for coming today is there is there anything else you want to say to all the other escorts and listeners out there there was one thing i wanted to part with people in terms of art and the intersection of escorting and entrepreneurialism typically the wealthiest people in life do not rely on a single source of income what they do is they diversify their income and how that starts for many individuals can be investing and seeing returns on investments. But another way that that happens is picking up a hobby and seeing where it goes. And as in the case of a few of the people I've mentioned earlier, the examples that I've seen that have been very strong have been, you know, providers who then develop a photography business because we always need photos and it's a really good idea to have a variety of photography styles so that your clients could have a good, well-rounded conception of who you are. Um, you know, makeup artistry, nail art, or even just visual art or music. You never know when an interest is going to take you somewhere further. And that's been my case as well. I didn't realize when I started escorting that in my career, one of the things that was going to make me the happiest it was a client buying uh a school pro- like an art illustration I did for a school project and then I learned through this industry that I love selling art and now it's one of the ways in which I make money I have diversified my income and I've divi- diversified it even further by decorating beautiful spaces and then renting them out as in calls and so now I don't rely on my income just coming from one source my eggs are not all in the same basket so have a creative approach to your life and you don't know where it might take you so have fun with it i couldn't agree more yeah so next time it's slow stop thinking about the fact that it's slow and start doing something fun something that feeds your soul and you won't even notice that it's slow because you'll be too busy having fun exactly and people pick up on happiness and i personally rather go into debt than do something that makes me sad all the time because then life is not worth living oh exactly That takes a long time to learn, too. (laughs) You're not living to make money. You're living to live. Yeah. And, you know, when you die, what are people going to remember? What are you going to remember? Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here today, Vivian. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Wisdom of the ages. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. I've attached Vivian's website and Twitter handle in the show notes so anyone interested can get in touch. I want to say thank you to her for taking the initiative to create and host these industry-friendly art parties. It's really cool to take these steps and make a cool safe space for events like these to happen. Hoping everyone has a lovely start to the week. And of course, stay curious.